Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read, heard, watched to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Or seen on our future partner's walls. Is that right? <laughs> is that accurate? Yeah, it's accurate. I'm, I am pretty sure Nate will have to tell me when he gets home from work today that he used to have this movie poster in his apartment when we first met 2001 a space odyssey that's what we're talking about today right yes okay so I read this awesome book um space odyssey Stanley Kubrick Arthur C. Clarke in the making of a masterpiece 2001 is uh it's actually really prescient before they made the movie. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is a filmmaker, was a filmmaker. Arthur C. Clarke was a author and Stanley, uh, science fiction author. And Stanley Kubrick reached out to um, Arthur C. Clarke and said, we're going to make the first great sci-fi movie. And they ended up doing that. But Arthur C. Clarke was also like, there's a bunch of pretty good ones. And Stanley Kubrick was like, no, all these are garbage. And he actually, at some point, when they were like developing it, Arthur C. Clarke was like showing him his favorites. And at one point, Stanley Kubrick was like, I'm never watching another movie this guy recommends to me because they're all so bad. Oh my gosh. Do you, th- I'm curious now, do you know, is this movie in the AFI top 100? Absolutely. Okay. Chan, this routinely gets in like the top 10 of greatest movies of all time. Wow. At one time, Nate and I, Nate is also a lover of film. Well, he used to be. Maybe he's a lover of golf now. Uh, but at one time, Nate and I were trying to go through the AFI Top 100. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now because I'm curious. It is number 15 in the Same. AFI Top 100. It was made in 1968. Wow. Correct. Okay. Yeah, the thing with this movie, though, is like you can't tell it was made then because of how advanced everything was. And the attention to detail by Stanley Kubrick is like so hyper that like <sighs> he also wouldn't let anybody talk about anything. So like there's the opening scene in this movie has like apes uh, transitioning from like not tools to tools. Uh-huh. Um, and people legitimately thought they had trained like monkeys to do that. But he had a choreographer work for over a year with a um, prosthetics guy to get it looking as hyper-realistic as possible. Wow. To the point where they didn't win Oscars because he refused to tell them that it wasn't monkeys. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That's like dedication to the craft. Yeah. Okay, so the book is fantastic. It kind of takes a dual approach in that it's like, we're going to tell Arthur's side, we're going to tell Stanley's side, and then we'll weave it in as we get through production and release and all these things. Um, And so the book itself was fascinating. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think you get to see a lot of how Stanley Kubrick was like a perfectionist and like how much he was demanding from everybody, Mm -hmm. the special effects and like how much work it made them it took for them to be as groundbreaking as they were. And the fact that it like has been having such like a lasting impact on pop culture, science fiction and potential spouses, uh, (laughs) decorations. Um, really 
high level. Stanley Kubrick made a bunch of movies, Clockwork Orange, The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, hyper, hyper perfectionist. He loved shooting multiple takes to the point where like um, he would shoot like upwards of 40 to 50 takes of things. Wow. Uh, which is like wow. bonkers. Um, his hyper attention to detail comes. I don't know where it comes from, but it's like I have a good quote from his wife that I will get there. Oh, no, it's from Dan Richter. I cannot judge Stanley the way I would judge others. What would be compulsion in anyone else is single mindedness in Stanley. So it was always like he was hyper focused on getting every single piece right. And so people were energized by that as opposed to like he's a crazy person. Yes. But they said that in Eyes Wide Shut, they shot the entire movie in uh, in England and people legitimately look at the scenes that take place outside and are like, I know this street in New York. Like this is for sure filmed on the street in New York. And they're like, no, like it's all on a set in England. Wow. And, and it looks like New Yorkers will be like, I'm like, that's a piece of gum I put there. Like that's how accurate it is. Oh my gosh. Uh, on the flip side, Arthur C. Clarke was like uh, one of the foremost science fiction writers of the time, which is why they wanted to work together. Uh, And he was super prescient about science and technology that didn't happen for 20, 30, or even 50 years after he had um, said that he thought that they could happen, which I think is fascinating. Okay, so I've got a few things overall that I want to say, and then let's get into some of the specifics about Stanley. Because I, I think they're really fascinating. Go okay, ahead. Okay, can I just say you used a word twice in this episode that I finally just had to look up what it is. Is it a word? Prescient? Yeah. That means to like know about the future. I learned a new but word today. But without knowing. I just is looked that, it up. Did I use it correctly? Eyes. Oh, yeah. No, you totally did. Prescient. Having or showing knowledge of events before they take place. Never heard somebody use that word in a sentence. So, listeners, if you learn nothing else from this episode, maybe, like me, you learned what this word is. <laughs> There we go. The Rami has used um, twice. <laughs> Sorry, so, I interrupted your flow. No, no, no. In talking about uh, Stanley, because that's where I really want to talk about, because he's such a interesting character to me and, and a genius like all these others that I continue to be fascinated by. Um, they they talked about one doesn't work with Stanley. They only work for Stanley. In that, like, he's always going to get what he wants to out of the relationship and that's not necessarily a a bad thing um in that it it helped push people like way way further than they ever imagined okay so here's here's a good example of that sounds cringy but i'm going to explain to you how i think it it's actually a really cool thing so with that and remember he's a perfectionist when the guy that was making the costumes for the apes, yeah, he struggled a lot with getting the mouth to work. And so he finally got it so that they could open their jaws, right? And like open their jaws. And he's like, okay, I like that the jaw can open, but I want it to be able to open one side or the other. And he's like, it just took me six months to figure out how to get this thing to open. So then it was like, okay, cool. No problem. I'm going to go figure that out. 
Then he came back and was like, okay, now we can open one side or the other. He's like, yeah, but we need the tongue to also work. Whoa. And so it was like, and the guy even says in the, like they quote him and he's like, I don't know if Stanley wanted to do it because he knew it was possible or he just want, he knew, he knew that I could do it. And so he wanted to challenge me to like level up and like keep pushing the boundaries of like what is possible. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like an energizing thing when he would come to you and say like, oh yeah, you did that. Okay. But can you do this? And it was always like, I don't know. Let's go see if we can figure it out. So it was like, yeah, it's that same thing that Steve Jobs had. It's like that aura of like, oh, I feel like I can do things that are outside of what I would have expected of myself without having him be the one to challenge me to do something like really insane. Yeah, it sounds like he could see a bigger possibility than what people could see. And he invited them into it. Exactly, which is one of the things we're going to get into. Okay, so uh, he was very egotistical, but he didn't see himself as an amazing artist and was a genuinely humble person, which is weird. And he had a childlike sense of wonder and optimism, um, which made his egotism disarming because it was a invitation to share the wealth. Hmm. Like, hey, we get to go on this crazy adventure and like do the thing that no one's ever done before with like, okay, so. So was he uh, really egotistic then? It doesn't sound like For sure. For sure. How so? Like, how did he have an ego then? It would, it would, it would ebb and flow, I think. Because at first I was thinking, Rami, it sounds like you're kind of describing yourself because I was thinking, well, Rami, you're a genuinely humble person. And I think you operate with a childlike sense of wonder and optimism. Uh, But I don't at all see you as egotistic only because of his like single-mindedness and focus on perfection right like i don't i don't have that and i think when he went to do those things i think that's when he was like we can do this like i have to believe that we can do this and if i don't believe it then nobody else will Hmm. and i think he had to he had to feel that way yeah and he also was like determined like he would do 50 takes of the same shot Like, you only do that unless you're shooting for perfection or you just haven't seen what you want to see. But this idea of an invitation to share the wealth, I think, is really fascinating. And I think it's one of those things that we've hopefully had the opportunity to have experiences like that within our careers of like, oh, this is a really exciting time in a really exciting place. And it's like, how do we how do we make partnerships, our departments, the people that we work with, how do we make it an invitation to share the wealth in a way that like energizes people and drives them towards a common goal? Can you, I'm curious, can you give an example of like how, how this has happened in your own life? Yeah, I think, I think when I started, so I worked at the honest company for a few years and I think when we were, when I was there, we were very startup-y and it very much felt like a oh we all got equity we all get stock like if we make this thing succeed and we put in 110 120 percent like we're all going to benefit from this thing yep and so it was like oh we're all just gonna work late and like do whatever we can to try and make this thing as efficient as streamlined as 
as um, profitable as possible to make it successful. And it, it always felt like we were invited to share the wealth. Mm. I didn't get anything out of all of that. Right. My, I never took my stock options because they ended up being underwater. But like at that point, it was like a cool time and a cool space to be a part of. Wow. That's really impactful. Can you think of any in your own career or life where you were just like so genuinely like honestly excited? Excitement isn't what comes to mind. Honestly, what came to mind for me here was when you invited me to do this podcast. That I but I didn't feel excited at the time. It felt intimidating at the time. But that's kind of like intimidating in that like you could see a lot of hopefully potential and things it was just like how are we able to actually do what we think we can do yeah well and even Rami even still sometimes I would say I get intimidated by you because like you're a very smart person with a huge knowledge base and diverse interests and I think every week like in this freaking podcast episode it's an invitation in to be like here's more stuff that I know (laughs) Like a whole new different topic of things. It just kind of blows my mind. But I, I I love the invitation every time that you bring forth like a new thing that I've never heard of before or seen before. And it's an invitation to share wealth. So thank you. So think about that. The second piece is they said that he just like loved, he was super curious, but like loved understanding everything, how everything worked. So I'm just going to read this paragraph that I took out of the book. Uh, When it came to absorbing content necessary to create visually compelling, intellectually provocative films, the metaphor almost all his collaborators used was that of a sponge. Still, a sponge is a largely passive object. His wife described a more active process. Stanley had a great ability to concentrate. And if somebody knew something that he wanted to know, he would sort of suck it out of them uh his wife said with a laugh he was a hungry student of anybody that knew something he didn't know and he wanted to know so it was quite fun to teach him too because nobody could pay better attention wow so we don't have a better phrase but like i think the thing for this is like be an active sponge and like when someone like find I've said this a lot of times before, and it may be unique to me, but we keep seeing more of these people who I'm very uh, enamored with that are in the same way. Like they're very curious, mm. but they they are very diligent about their curiosity in that like, oh, you know something that I don't know. Uh, I want to know all the things, right? Like if I sat down with Nate, I'd be like, okay. Is shanking it to the left or shanking it to the right? <laughs> like, I don't know. I know that it's not a good thing. I just don't know what that means. And then I'm sure Nate would be like, oh, yeah, Rami, it's to the right. And shank comes from this thing that whatever. I don't know. I'm sure Nate knows a lot about golf. I can't even make up things yeah. to know about golf. Yeah. And he'd be like, here's a wood and here's a wedge. And this is why you use the thing. And But all of that to say, like, I think when the opportunity arises, I'm always like very grateful for those things to like learn as much as I can. Um, and it, it makes you a very 
interesting person, I think, because then you're able to talk about a lot of different subjects. Yes. Um, I think you do this beautifully. And my mom, my mom, too. My mom has this gift of making anyone feel like the most interesting person in the room because she is this. She's an activist. One. She is so genuinely curious and enamored with anything that you might put forth. So do that because it's cool. Um, there was this phrase, and I want to ask you, Shannon, if you love or hate it. The phrase was re-don't. Redo the work. Don't make the same mistake. Hmm. I'm kind of into it. It reminds me of an episode. And you're going to have to help me fill in the blanks. I think it was a chef that we were talking about. Or there was some like a restaurateur or something that we were talking about uh, that had a similar, not a similar quote. But I remember getting really fired up about the quote and being like, no, don't do that. I would be like a re-don't person. Don't mm-hmm. redo, like learn and do better the next time. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think about that. What do you think about it? I don't hate it. It's not. It's elegant in its phrasing. It's it just needs it needs a lot of uh, contextual explanation. I don't think it does. You just said it in a sentence. Redon't. You explained it to me in one sentence. Here's what it means. Yeah. Don't make the same mistake again. So that that would be redoing it. So redon't it instead. Yeah, and I think you and I have versions of this. I guess I guess I do like it. Okay, I take it back. <laughs> I do like it because it I think it is elegant in the phrasing. And it doesn't seem as I always used when I first heard it, I was like, oh, that's kind of like aggressive. But it actually isn't. It's like, oh, like I'm not gonna yell at you, but like just go fix whatever is wrong. And just don't make the same mistake. Yeah, I can see where it sounds, where it feels aggressive because it's the negative version of something. Like, how can we find the positive version of that? Yeah. Which is very much a coach thing. Like, we don't want to say what we don't want to do. Say what you do want to do. Do. Do learn. (laughs) Yes. And do better the next time from what you learned. Prince, we've got this like ingrained in him. Yeah. I'm always like, because he'll like do something and I'll be like, okay, Prince, like, was that a good thing or is that a bad thing? He's like, it's a bad thing. I was like, and what can we do? He's like, all we can do is do better next time. Nice. I'm, like, yes. I'm like, but you got to try to do better is the key. Because a lot of times he'll be like, oh, same mistake happened again. I'm like, okay, well, you're clearly not trying to do better. He's also a three-year-old. So maybe I'm pushing too far on his emotional intelligence for, so. for a little kid. But. Start, it, start it young. Yes. Okay. Uh, The last quote I have from Stanley Kubrick is never let your ego get in the way of a good idea, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really great quote for leaders and for people who are needing to expound or or push through a ton of energy to make something succeed. Because I think at some points, you are so hyper-focused on making it happen that you're kind of just like pushing through things that you're not being as open to suggestions because you're like, no, we just need to make this thing work. Yeah. But if, if that manifests itself as ego, then you're preventing good ideas from getting in. And that's where I say, like, I think he did a pretty good job of this. And I think that's a, 
just a reminder for us is like we're pushing through those like really big projects and we know that we have to kind of force and really drive and, and, you know, like bolster our own, um, our own ego to like, feel like we can actually like carry it through to the finish line. Yep. I think being open to good ideas is, is really important because I'm sure you hear a lot of bad ideas, which is why you're like inflating your ego and you're like, no, 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 no. But I think it's, it's always listening to each of those to make sure that when the good idea does come, you're like, oh yes, now let's pivot and let's absorb that and and then let that kind of lead us through. Yeah. I'm curious for, for both of us to reflect on if you've seen an example of this, of like where either ourselves personally, we've let our ego get in the way of a good idea or we've prevented it. Like it almost happened that it didn't. I can offer one while you're thinking if that's helpful. Yes. It's not related to me. It's actually related to a client. So uh, I was connected with a client recently who has been fighting for some time to get a promotion and they're getting the promotion, uh, but it's they can't announce it yet because they're trying to stage out like multiple layers of promotion all at once. So this person is going to start getting compensated more right now, but won't be announced to the entire organization that they've been promoted to this new role, new level for like another six months, let's say. And their ego almost got the way. Like, it's a good idea to wait, right? Because oh, yeah. it's like, let's. let's Especially if we're going to pay them clear, more now. Yes. Like, let's have this clear narrative of like, here's all these changes, but we need to sequence it over time. We need to sequence all of the changes over time to not overwhelm people. So like, clearly a good idea to wait to announce here's your new fancy title. Uh, but, but like, we're willing to compensate you right now. And their ego almost got in the way <laughs> of them being like, no, damn it. I want everyone to know that I have this new fancy title right now. And it's like, ah, oh, we just got to watch that ego moment sometimes. Has there, have you seen one recently or heard or had one yourself? No, I can't think of a good one. Um, but I really like that one because it's almost like you're getting, what was the priority here? Was it getting more money or was it getting the title? Exactly. And maybe it was a split of both, but like, I don't know, nine times out of 10, I think if you ask someone like, Hey, if we give you more money, but like, we can't change your title for a minute, like cool. Or do you need to wait for both? Yeah. I think everybody would be like, no, no, no money, please. Well, and the more, the more I'm coaching more senior leaders, it's like, I'm man, this is just like, I'm just learning this real time as we're recording this episode. I think what I'm noticing is a key differentiator is ego. Like those that will be successful and get to the higher levels and those that don't, it's like that they're able to see where their ego is getting in the way of something good. So a, a real short thing to check in with, if you're like, is my ego getting in the way? Ego is meant to keep us safe, separate or significant. So if you're trying to do something that's keeping you safe, separate or significant, it's a good sign that your ego is getting in the way right now. And I think how, what I'm seeing in senior leaders, sorry, I'm taking something a totally different direction is no, I like this. I'm almost wondering, Oh, did they get to that level because they learned how to keep their ego in check? They learned how to watch out for those moments where they were trying to say, stay safe, separate or significant and challenged it. I almost, I really like that. And I almost wonder if the good leaders, our high EQ leaders, are the ones who did understand how to keep it in check. And our bad leaders are the ones who couldn't keep it in check. But either way, I think it took 
some amount of ego to get to where they needed to get. Yeah. And I'm not like, we need ego. Like there is health in it. Maybe it's like, uh, when it gets overused, you know, it's mm-hmm. like how any, any strength, like we can get into a category where it's like, Oh shit, we're red zoning this strength right now. And now, now yep. it's made become an opportunity because we're overusing it. Oh, I yeah. totally took us in a different direction. Bring us back home. No, now. but I think that's, I think that's, I think that's right. Right. Like we want to talk about, that okay so all of that to say i think stanley kubrick is fascinating i think 2001 has stood the test of time it came out yeah 19 what do we say 68 so that was like 60 years ago 50 years ago i can't do math 60 70 years ago oh my gosh why am i struggling to do math 2008 50 years ago 55 no 60 60 oh no i was doing yeah 55 you're right you're right you're right (laughs) Uh, some a large amount of years stood the test of time. I think my takeaways and hopefully your tactical takeaways from this are how do we become an active sponge? How do we invite others to share the wealth and how can we prevent our ego from getting in the way of a good idea? I love it. With that, we'd love for you to connect with us on Instagram or LinkedIn what do we want to know? I want to know, do you have an example of when you invited? Uh, no, let's go with the ego one. I want to know the ego one. I want to know when you didn't let ego get in the way of a good idea. I love I it. I think that could be fun. Or your favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. I'm cool with that as well. And if it's not Dr. Strangelove, let's have some chats. <laughs> with that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs. <laughs>